Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The basis for our message is the parable spoken by our Lord earlier, the parable of the talents given to the three servants. Well, there was an old cartoon in which you have a teacher and a student, and behind the student on the chalkboard is, uh, the backboard is covered with all these math problems, but the boy hasn't finished them. And the teacher and the boy are looking at each other, and the boy says to the teacher, I'm not an underachiever. You're an over-expector. <laughs> expectations. Expectations are everywhere, are they not? And expectations are found in our parable today. A master had expectations for the servants. Two of the servants lived up to those expectations. One did not. What's the difference between the two? What were the expectations that the master had as he dispersed his property to the servants? And why is it that one failed? And the parable is spoken clearly about our relationship with the Lord. What are the expectations that God has for you and for me? And have we succeeded? But we'll look at that, all of that. But most of all, we'll examine how our Lord is the one who equips us for these expectations. So when we come to the parable, we have a parable about a master who's going on a journey. And as before he departs, he disperses his servants, to his, to his servants, his property. And he had an expectation. And it's real important to understand the expectation of the master in this parable is that the servants would do business in his name. And we see this from the way the text unfolds. In verse 14, For it will be like a man who going on a journey called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Notice these weren't simply gifts. He's giving his property to the servants. Why would he do that? He, he wants his servants to do business in his name while he is gone so that he is not forgotten. And the first servant recognizes that. When you look at verse 16, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. He understood right away that, that he was to be at work. He was to use what had been given to him in the name of his master, and so he did. And when the master returns... The master is pleased. He says to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a little, and I will set you over much. Notice what he's commended for. He's not commended for the amount that he returned back. He's commended for faithfulness. That's what the master was looking for. The master wanted him to use what was given on behalf of him and in his name, so that he would not be forgotten. And so that when he returned, he could continue to do the work and the business that he had before he left. Everything was about the return of the master, so that the master could fulfill what he always planned to do. He didn't want to be forgotten. He wanted business done. And so he had given him a promise that he would return. Now, it's very clear in this parable who we're talking about, right? Who's the master? It's the Lord, right? Who are the servants? Well, it's you and I. So what are the expectations? It's clear. The, the Lord wants you to be active in the world in his name. He's given you his property, right? Everything that we own belongs to the Lord. All that we have is his. He is the creator and sustainer of all creation. So he has blessed you 
with the idea that you would go forward in the name of the Lord and use all that you have to his honor and to his glory. And he's given a promise. He's coming back. And everything is about that return. We are to be at work in his name as his representatives in preparation for his return. So that his name will be known throughout the world so that all might know him as the Lord of all. All the gifts you have, physical and spiritual, he wants you to be faithful in with that in mind, with that purpose. But as we go back to the parable, certainly the first servant, the second servant understood this and did this. But what about that third servant? Why didn't he do what he was supposed to? There's really two reasons. He didn't truly understand who the master was, and he didn't truly believe the master was coming back. Again, notice what happens when the master gives this third servant his talent. What does he do with it? He buries it. He doesn't do anything with it. And when the master comes back and has him give an account of that, what does he say? He says, Master, I knew that you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you had not scattered seed, so I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. Where in the parable do we hear about this master being cruel and also as one who robs and steals? Nowhere. In fact, this is not the picture of the master in the rest of the parable, the opposite is the picture. One who is generous with what he has and is willing to give it and share it with his own servants. You see, he didn't truly know the master. What he says about the master is, is his opinion and his picture of it. But the master calls him out on this, right? When, when he's giving his account, the master responds, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was mine with interest. The master is pointing out that this doesn't make any sense. If you truly believed what you had just said about me, the last thing you were going to do was bury it. Again, understand, in this culture, the idea of using a bank and, and interest is, is not considered a wise thing or a proper thing. Usury was condemned. And so he said, if you really thought I was a man with bad dealings, then you would have had no qualms about using interest. But the fact that you buried it demonstrates that you really did not fear me. That's what he's saying to the master. And he didn't fear the master because he didn't think the master was coming back. That's the second reason. The, the, the real reason they didn't do anything. He believed the master was not going to return. Again, Remember whose talent that was? It was the master. What did he do with it? He buried it. Why? Because he didn't think the master was coming back. So when it was clear the master was not coming back, whose talent would it be? It belonged to him. He used it for his own sake. This is why the master is angry and called him wicked. He did not use the things properly because he didn't know the master truly. And didn't believe his promises. Now, now let's go back to ourselves. God has called upon you to use all that you have to God's honor and to put his name before the world. How well do we do that? At times we do that. 
but not always. And isn't that for the very same reasons? We don't always see our Lord the way that we should. Sometimes we question him. Sometimes we wonder about him. Sometimes we question where he is when things are difficult. It's tough to do work in the master's name when we're asking him why he's allowing things to happen to us. We don't always see him as the gracious Lord that he truly is. Because things don't always happen the way that we want nor desire. But the bigger problem is the promise of his return. Now, now I don't think any of us would say, well, he's not coming back. We just confessed it again in the creed, right? That's, that's part of our confession weekly, that the Lord is going to return. But do you live as if you believe that promise? Because if we believe that promise, wouldn't there be urgency to our life? Wouldn't there be urgency to how we live our life in the name of the Lord? And wouldn't there be a focus on those things that are eternal? But think about your life. Think about your calendar, your bank book. How much is focused on this life, now, the things of this world? How much of our life is focused on the immediacy, not the eternity? So much of our life is directed on weed today that we don't give much thought to Christ's return. It's not so much that we don't believe it. Yes, we, we do believe it. But it's tough to live that way for us. We, we don't always focus on that. So often we're so focused on what we want now and what's going on now, we have no eye toward eternity. True stewardship is done with a view toward eternal things. That's where our focus is. That's where our desire is. That's where our action is. Doing things with an eternal idea and an eternal goal. And so when we recognize our failure, what do we do? We go back to the master, right? Because he's the one that loves you. Again, in this parable, think about the picture, the true picture of the master. The master equipped the servants to be successful, right? To, to be able to do what he's called upon them to do. He, he's given them his own property. He's delivered the talents to them according to their own ability. He's given a promise that he would return. And when he comes back, he does receive them. Everything he does, he does for his servants. And equipping them for the job that he has given them. And again, that's the picture for us. What has the Lord not done for you? He's died for you. He's risen for you. He's called you by name in your baptism. He calls you to his table again and again to be fed and nourished by him, to be equipped by him, to receive his love and his forgiveness. So, so when we recognize that we are not living the way that we should, when we, we are not the stewards that we want to be, we're not doing the work of the Lord that we way we know we are supposed to, what do we turn, do? We, we turn back to this God who loves us. And when we do, what does he do for us? He forgives us. He forgives you. He gives you his love once again, his forgiveness once again, and he equips you once again. And he places within your heart a love for him and a joy of the Lord's love and promise of eternity. He's the one who equips you with an eye toward eternity. He's the one that equips you with a joy knowing that what I do not deserve, he gives and that even a life of eternal is what he offers. And he reminds us. He's given us a promise. He's coming back. He's coming back with a specific purpose to take you home.
so that you and I and all who believe can be with him forever. And when we understand that, it's just natural that we have the urgency. When we understand the great news of God's love and, and what he has promised, we can't help but do his work. We can't help but love our neighbor. We can't help but give thanks for all that we have and use them not only for our sake, but for our neighbors and, and for those around the world. He's the one that prepares us to share with us for others. Again, we can talk about expectations, and every time we do, we're reminded that we don't always meet them. We simply can't. But thankfully, we have a Lord that has exceeded all expectations. Because of his success, our failure is forgiven. And he promises to continue to supply us, to continue to guard us, to continue to lead us, so that we can receive that which he's promised most of all, life eternal. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding guide our hearts and minds to true faith, to life everlasting. Amen.